The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan. One me and one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, is Reese Davis. Flips, flips, and more flips. Where in the world were these prognostication skills when I was racing for the ribeye? And whether Pete likes it or not, I'm back, baby. This is the College <laughs> Game Day podcast for Monday, December 19th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here. Pete, gracious enough to expertly take over the podcast which he has done on other formats and other competitors who shall remain nameless for a number of years and you uh you you crushed it you guys were great as always pete did you miss me at all so this is what i realized about hosting so occasionally uh our fair podcast crew can relate to the fact that during the podcast i'll like space out go on my phone break a story return a text message you can't do that when you're hosting because all of a sudden bill finishes his thought and I have no idea what he's saying because I'm worried about Chip Lindsay going to North Carolina, which broke during our last podcast or something else. <laughs> and occasionally, I'd say on our, on the season of our pod, I probably like call the 30 maybe three times mm-hmm. over over three months, something yeah. like that. I try to be yeah. judicious about it. It has to sort of rise to the level of like, this is happening, not mm-hmm. this may happen. So anyway, I was uh, and it was a particularly newsy day when Bill and I did the uh, did the polls. So needless to say, I was disheveled and not that I didn't appreciate your grand hosting abilities, be they on game day, be they here. But it was reaffirmed to me the smooth jazz that you make this thing go through, because like the pod starts and you're like, I got to just start talking. <laughs> so it was good. Taylor and Sarah did a great job of, of guiding me home. Bill Connolly was his his usual uh, deft company. We probably talked a little more soccer while you were gone. So take that for uh, take that for what it's worth. But uh, yeah, I, I don't time. know. I don't know what people are going to think of this, given that, uh, you know, I've hosted Euros and I've hosted the World Cup in my career. And, and much like my time hosting auto racing, I developed an appreciation, but not a passion. Uh, when I'm hosting the event, I'm completely invested. It's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm paying attention to everything, the prep work leading up to it, all of that. But once I'm past it, I don't have the passion for it to carry on. So that said, I watched, Pollock was at, uh, uh, we were together at, at in Connecticut, and we watched a little bit of a U.S. game, one. And then I watched the end of extra time in the PKs waiting on uh, waiting on the Jaguars to start uh, yesterday. So I, I was not one of those who took to Twitter to complain about the uh, about the Jaguars pregame not being on, but uh, but I was tuned in for that reason to to watch the football on Sunday. And by the way, I know this is college podcast. How about our Jaguars yesterday, Pete? How about there you are. I How feel about that, that heartbeat thumping. I feel oh, that heartbeat thumping. There um, was actually, I've talked about this, that we've tried to adopt the Jaguars. We're working on it. Yeah. But there there was actual excitement yesterday, like to the point of when Rayshon Jenkins picked the ball. And actually, I felt bad because I, I really, really am fond personally of Dak Prescott. I really yeah. like Dak. We've As talked about I. this before. And it certainly wasn't, wasn't his fault on the pick. But when Rayshon Jenkins picked off the ball yesterday, there were four people in my house that 
jumped up and started yelling, go, 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 go. And there were high fives and everything. So we're getting closer. We're, we're getting closer to a fully, fully adopting the Jaguars. I know we don't spend a lot of time talking about the pros, nor should we, but given the Jags' performance, I think they deserve best in game. And best in game is brought to you by Old Dominion Freightline, helping the world keep promises. So you weren't like taken by the end of that cup final? Because like I had, it was kind of a lazy, rare, lazy weekend day in the uh, family house, right? Because we're obviously on the road all these weekends. So I kind of had it in the World Cup, as I've said, is great background noise. So I can't say during the first half, I was like glued to every touch. Correct. As as when France scored those back-to-back goals, I kind of got up on the couch and I was like, oh, this is pretty good when they tied it too. It was was pretty good theater. So Uh, Agreed. No, yeah. no question about that. I wasn't diminishing that in the least. Yeah. I was just saying, no, absolutely. Yeah. At the end, and watching the PKs, uh, that was uh, that was awesome. That was great yeah. theater for for sports fans. And you know, I didn't have a horse in the race necessarily, no, but yeah. I was uh, I was actually I was I was glad for Messi. And I did yeah. um, I, I did say I did say this. The one little thing that Bill Connolly would be pleased about <laughs> to show my lack of soccer knowledge, but that some of the preparation came back. Uh, my son and I were talking uh, just in the immediate aftermath. And I said, I, I believe that's the first time Argentina, I said, was the last time they won it, the uh, uh, Maradona hand of God goal year? And, uh, and, and we looked it up to verify. And I was like, hey, that World Cup prep paid off at, at some point. <laughs> all, 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 all these all these years later. Um, we'll now have four years without soccer talk on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. And so with that, that is the conclusion of of our uh, Soccer Talk podcast. You've been busy this morning. Uh, commitments flipping, people in the portal changing their mind. What's what's the story that you broke today? So uh, big story on the on the college football landscape today, and, and, and especially in the Pac-12 now slash Big Ten landscape, uh, Dante Moore, the uh, number three ranked player in the country, also number three quarterback in the country in this upcoming class of 2023, told ESPN this morning he's flipping from Oregon to UCLA. He had visited there this weekend, so it wasn't a huge surprise, but that's a pretty seismic shift of an elite, elite player. Uh, Moore is from King High School in Detroit. He threw a meager 135 touchdown passes in his four years as a starter <laughs> at, uh, at at Detroit King. And uh, really, uh, re- talking to him this morning, um, really bright uh, young man and really had some, some interesting reasons for why he did it. And I guess these three things stood out off the top of my head. One is Bo Nix returning, he said, had no, no factor in his decision. He uh, His bond with Kenny Dillingham was the main reason why, after committing in July, that he started to waffle. Dillingham had offered him at Florida State, he said, three or four years ago, and Mm -hmm. and he had visited Florida State. So that bond had grown and grown and grown and was a big reason why he was was headed to Eugene. Um, Reason two, he was really excited about the Big Ten. Uh, Sometimes you ask these kids about leagues and they don't they don't really say much. He he really uh, he really expounded on that and thought UCLA going to the Big Ten was going to be very helpful. And the third thing I thought was very interesting was I asked about NIL because you have to ask about NIL at this point. And he said on his visits, when he saw an NIL meeting on his itinerary, he refused to enter it. He said, I don't want to make a decision on my college choice based off. I don't want to like almost to cloud my decision. Now, look, I'm not naive. He did on the back end of that say, look, if I go to L.A. and take care of myself, you know, take care of business, I'm going to get it. So like it's not he's not some 
you know, I don't want right. to idealize him and right. think that he's yeah. not going to take any money because it's going to be the way it used to be. But, he, you know, he said, look, if I go there and I do what I'm supposed to do and I ball out and, uh, you know, do all do everything right, that is all going to come. You know, from, from talking to more, he came off, uh, you know, as a, as a very polished young man who clearly put a lot of thought into the to the decision. And uh, I thought there was a lot of wisdom in his perspective on the uh, on the NIL. So I thought that was uh, I thought that was interesting because, look, we're really in the first couple cycles of that being a driver of decision making. And I thought that was uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. There's nothing. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with making money, even the mis, uh, misquoted scripture uh, often talks about the money being the root of all evil. That's not what it says. It says the love of money is. And the reason I bring that up is because there's nothing wrong with making money, but many, many bad decisions have been made if you make it solely because of money. So the couple of things that strike me about your conversation uh, with Dante is that number one, that's really smart. And number two, his where he's from, he's getting the best of both worlds. He's getting to play in the Big Ten, but he's getting to play for UCLA. So the the weather, the coach he likes, plus he's getting to come back to his home region, at least periodically, uh, for road games from time to time. So that's kind of a best of best of both worlds for him. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Chip can do with him. But it brings up a couple of questions. You mentioned it had nothing to do with Bo, which which is fine. One more, which surprised me a little bit. I would have thought maybe that while I've got you know solid regard for this quarterback class, you've got a couple of superstars coming next year. I would have thought that maybe Bo would want to go work his way up in this class, but maybe he's looking beyond Drake May, Caleb Williams, and figuring that maybe he can be QB three, you know, and and then and the next class. That's one thing. And the other is, where does it leave DJ Uyunglele? Because there, I mean, that was one thing we saw that he visited UCLA early on. I think you and I speculated not about Oregon necessarily, had, but had Bo left, I would have thought that might have been an option. Oregon State. Where, have you heard anything yet on DJ and where he might wind up? So I, I, that camp has been pretty quiet. They've reached out to uh, to a to a few places and. You know, Washington would have been an option, except obviously Michael Penix is coming back. Uh, so Oregon, not an option anymore with, with Bo Nix coming back. Oregon State uh, has not shown deep dive interest in that. Mm-hmm. And I really think Oregon State, Reese, is a really interesting place. Now, Ben Gobranson's gone 7-1 and one as a starter, right? right. But mm-hmm. is, he the, is he the long-term answer? I don't know. I don't know. Like, could they upgrade there? Remember, they tried. They they made a push late for JT Daniels last year, right. and there are some. You know, there are some pretty good quarterbacks in that transfer portal right now. When you think about Hudson Card, we think about Keaton Slovis. Uh, we can go on and on with Devin Leary, uh, and there is. You know, so it's it's a, it's just a fascinating chess game for all these coaches right now. Quarterback recruiting was complicated mm-hmm. before the portal and one time transfer. Now it's uh, you know in in. If you're some of these guys, do you wait till after spring? Um, yeah. Some of the mid-major coaches that I know who have an open quarterback job or a perceived open quarterback job feel like they're at an advantage because they can mm-hmm. get a veteran 21, 22-year-old guy who started dozens of college games to, to, to come in. And there just aren't enough places where you can say, hey, you're going to be favored to start right away. Mm-hmm. So 
uh, all in all, the, the quarterback carousel has become a pretty fascinating, uh, pretty fascinating world here. And uh, yeah, I don't know where DJ lands. Like I just, you know, Arizona is the kind of place where, uh, you know, West Coast quarterback would go, but they're obviously set with, uh, they're obviously set with Delora. Arizona State has been pretty judicious uh, mm-hmm. going through um, and, and looking at there. So I, I don't know. Um, in, in the campus, his camp has been pretty quiet. Uh, that's a, Arizona State would be interesting, particularly because um, I don't think uh, Bo Nix at Auburn didn't have the the depth of it. Well, maybe he did. I don't know. It didn't seem like he had the depth of issues that DJ did. That was more of a of a question of harnessing it and playing within yourself a little bit more in Dillingham. Very successful in helping Knicks do that. And if there if there were to be mutual interest, I would think that that might be attractive to DJ at least in terms of being able to help a guy sort of, if not reinvent himself, certainly uh, refine himself to a great degree as he did, uh, as he did with Bo Nix. Let me throw one out to you. And this is totally, it's not totally random because it's based a little bit on uh, some uh, behind the scenes intel from the past. Would it stun you at all if uh, Grayson McCall, who Coastal Carolina quarterback, who canceled a trip to Auburn, which seemed to be a good a good spot for him, would it surprise you at all if he wound up at Georgia next year? Because I think that there, you know, from what I understand, there had been some interest had Grayson decided to leave earlier. Now I've heard nothing this time about that, but that wouldn't shock me. I mean, Stetson Bennett's, uh, you know, going, moving on. That's going to be an open situation. Other guys that they've recruited that have been highly recruited guys haven't been able to unseat Stetson Bennett when given an opportunity last year uh, when JD Daniel, JT Daniels was hurt. Wouldn't stun me if Grayson McCall or someone like that actually wound up at Georgia next year. That's a really interesting thought. I had not heard Georgia tied to, to Grayson McCall. I actually made a couple of calls about him uh, last night. I will say this. If you're Kirby Smart and you don't go get a veteran quarterback to sort of make sure that piece fits right around all those five stars and all that great recruiting machinery you've had, you better have a lot of faith in, in, in one of those guys coming up. Like I really feel like it's almost negligent at this point if you're one of these veteran powerhouse programs and you don't, and Alabama's pretty interesting too, Reese, right? Because, you know, they have Ty Simpson coming. They really like him, but does that mean you don't want a, a guy who started 30 college games to be in, to be in your mix and Georgia and Alabama are different deals now. Like I think guys would go there to battle for the job as opposed mm-hmm. to a lot of the, a lot of the places where they go, where they kind of want the nod as the starter. So I think both are, uh, both are pretty interesting. Uh, Hudson card, when he committed to Texas, Georgia made a late push, but I haven't heard much Georgia in his recruitment. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. I haven't heard of Georgia being particularly active um, yet. Now, again, there's another wave of these things. We're a third of the way right. through. Yeah. So there's a post spring wave and maybe Kirby doesn't like what he sees and, Georgia in Alabama and the place they can be targeted. They're not going to have four guys in on visits. You know, right. They're not going to be doing what like Auburn is Leary comes and McCall, like McCall may come like, no, they're going to, they're going to say, Hey, we want you. If Georgia, Alabama gets somebody from this point on, they're going to know they're going to Georgia, Alabama before they go on the port. Nothing should ever surprise me anymore. 
I'm going to make a bold statement here. I will be shocked if Alabama gets a transfer portal quarterback with the idea of him being a starter. Now, if they, huh. you know, like a few years ago, they, you know, they went after Gardner Minshew when they had Tua mm-hmm. and Jalen. They there was no idea of him starting at that time. Gardner was talking about starting his coaching career and making that connection at Alabama and being a veteran presence in there. You know, just a, a you know a backup guy. And then Mike Leach said, "Well, do you want to do that, or would you like to come lead the nation in passing?" Which he did, if memory serves. And mm-hmm. um, you know, so I I think Alabama's starter will be will be Ty Simpson or Jalen Milrow, and yeah. I know Miller Milrow had the turnover mm-hmm. problems and all of that. There is there is a an abundance of potential <laughs> there with yeah. him, and certainly that is the case with Ty Simpson. They got a couple of freshmen coming in too that they're high on. I'll be very surprised if Alabama's active in the in the quarterback portal. But but let me know, ask you this: Reese. It shouldn't surprise me. Yeah, who's offensive coordinator going to be next year? Well, that's that's a big. I don't know. No, I no idea. I mean, I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that Bob Bill O'Brien is going going back to the NFL. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't I don't have any idea or insight on who that might be. A couple of the guys yeah. that I would have thought would have been attractive have been hired uh, already sure. by others. So uh, yeah, it's, yeah. You just mentioned Minshew. Uh, you were obviously uh, away last week and didn't get mm-hmm. a chance to reflect on Leach. You said some nice things on social media. You've always been very complimentary of Mike and his unique part in the fabric of the game, I believe, were the, were the words you used. Do you want to take a minute, Reese, and just reflect a little bit uh, on uh, on Mike? I'm sure you dealt with him in a lot of different places and varieties in a bunch of years. So I'm sure you've yeah. had some fun. There's no boring encounters with Mike. So I'm sure you've had No, some there's really not. And, you know, just all these things sort of um, – you know, flashback to you. And I'm not going to try to portray this as if he and I were close or anything like that, but always very friendly. I was always very fond of him. And whenever I was around him, uh, I I really enjoyed being around him. You could talk about anything. The, the one that springs to mind, Pete, is that um, Jesse Palmer, David Pollock, you know, actually, I don't think David was with us that week. Jesse and I were in Pullman to call a game. And we're sitting there and we're talking about scheme or game plan or whatever it might be. And just sort of out of nowhere, uh, Mike says, well, you know, of course I, uh, you know, every time I go to Key West, I bring back this Cuban coffee. You guys like Cuban coffee. And of course, Jesse being the connoisseur that he is, you know, did, I said, I've never had it. I don't know. He goes, well, wait, wait. so he's, he dispatches somebody to his office, a different place, bring this back up. Um, and you know, I, I drank my first Cuban coffee with him. I also, as you well know, I'm not much, uh, I'm, I don't drink much at all in, in terms mm-hmm. of alcohol, but we were at National Football Foundation one time and I wound up with oh. Mike and, uh, and in the aftermath. And Mike said, uh, what, what are you drinking? And I said, I don't know, whatever you are. And so, and so it came to pass that I had my first uh, sip of straight whiskey on the rocks then with, with Mike Leach. And that was not the time. It was another football foundation dinner that he came up to me. He actually came up to Trev Alberts and me. This shows how long ago it was. And Mike said, uh, Mike said, you know, he said, I really want to figure out a way to be better in those halftime interviews. You know, he goes, I'm walking off the field at halftime and the reporter comes up to me and they ask this question or that question. He goes, and I want to know what to say. He said, but all I can ever think of is, well, 
we got to score more points. And I said, well, then just say that. <laughs> you know, as it turns out, he sort of perfected the art of, uh, of doing it. But, you know, one of a kind guy, and I think um, much like you, and I understand the reasons for it, but coaches are so guarded mm-hmm. and so worried that anything they say is going to be held against them forever, hurt recruiting, hurt the brand, hurt this, hurt that, be taken out of context, be misunderstood, whatever. Not for one second did Mike Leach ever worry about that. And I think that's what, you know, what made him so attractive. He wasn't afraid to share his interest with with others, whether it be about Geronimo's leadership or his, uh, you know, distinct love of pirates and all of those things, you know, or, or, you know, any any other thing, you know, we're talking about his walk to work or the person he met along the way, you know, all of these all of these things. I thought, you know, and especially in retrospect, serve to be great examples of of the quote fashionable thing, be in the moment, you know, that kind of thing that people say. But Mike was, and he would run into somebody and talk to them, be genuinely interested in what they had to say, and then be able to recount, often in entertaining fashion, the conversation he had had, you know with someone in a restaurant, a coffee shop, airport, wherever it might be. And, you know, I in a game that is becoming homogenized in a lot of ways, particularly with the people who lead it, um, he was a breath of fresh air. You didn't know people didn't always agree with him, and that's fine. You know, whatever that we we ought to learn to uh, be able to appreciate people with whom we disagree from time to time. And, you know, I, I just I thought he was I thought he was a good soul with a good heart. Um, you know, sure, gruff at times, um, but entertaining. And, and he's really, really going to be missed, I think, in terms of entertainment value. And then his impact on the game is, is obvious with the number of people who have, you know, gone forth and prospered from his, you know, his and how Mummy's coaching tree. I mean, I, I know how, in terms of the Exos, deserves a lot of credit for that, too with the whole air raid principles, but you know, it was, it's a big loss. I'm really sorry that, you know, we, we lost him way too soon. And, you know, my condolences out to all of his friends and family. And I think the, um, uh, the stories that have been recollected on social media by a number of people have been, have been really entertaining. And I think Mike would, Mike would be pleased that uh, so many people enjoyed being around him. Yeah. I obviously gave uh, last week in the pod. I won't have listeners have to hear all my thoughts twice, but I will just amplify the fact that, uh, Mike Leach's record at last call at the National Football Foundation event was he was undefeated. <laughs> he, he certainly didn't lose many nights there in New York City in December. I was uh, I was down with him a couple of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. God 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 bless him. God bless yeah. him. He uh, he certainly yeah. After a few whiskeys, you could you, you, the conversations could dart and veer in some very different ways. <laughs> Yeah, I'll I'll miss that. I'll miss the uh, the chance to see him from time to time. I'll miss uh, I'll miss the shallow musings. You know, I, I think I brought this up someplace. We did the you know the takeoff of the deep mm. thoughts with Jack Handy from Saturday Night Live for a few years on uh, on game day. We would do shallow musings with Mike Leach, and you never had to plant anything. You know, say hey, let's have somebody in Pullman, you know, ask this question and see what he says. All you did was record uh, record the weekly news conference. It was bound to go someplace, you know. That was uh, that was entertaining. So we would try to pull, you know, a forty second clip out of that. And it was funny, and um, you know, it showed some character and personality, which he most certainly was. 
Yes. Uh, the, the word homogenized that you used is a really good way to describe the coaches we cover. And they're nice people and we like them. Oh, sure. Um, yes. Yeah. But they're almost all become, they approach microphones now like, what can I say wrong to risk my $7 million year, year yeah. contract? Yeah. And, and I don't blame them in some ways. So sometimes I approach this podcast that way. I don't, I don't make nearly that much money. Um, but there is just, there's there's a net as the word, especially social media, right? Because mm-hmm. 10, 10, 15 years ago, you're doing a press conference at Pullman. It's going to be in the Spokane paper, maybe the Seattle paper, and it might get picked up in some Pac-12 locations. Mm-hmm. Now, it is instantly blasted out to the country and amplified quickly. If you say something hilarious, it gets blasted out. If you say something controversial, it gets blasted out. And that that is just – that has had – I think coaches become more prone to cliches and it's understandable. It's not a criticism. It's oh, just a, sure. an evolution yeah. of, of the, the marketplace. And uh, Mike just did not change. And to, to his everlasting credit and to our benefit from, uh, from being around him and, uh, you know, and knowing him, and, you know, was, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole. You know, there was yeah. the period of time with the controversy at Texas tech with, you know, my, former broadcast partner and friend, Craig James, that, you know, was, uh, you know, awkward at, at times a little bit. And probably I haven't said this publicly. The only time I got irritated with uh, with Mike was that I saw him uh, that I recall was I saw him. I think it was national championship game that was being played in Miami. It was shortly, uh, maybe a year or so after all of this had happened. And I saw Mark May and I ran into him in a parking lot and stood there and visited for quite some time, had some laughs. And then the next day, I had to answer all these questions from people about an interview that I'd conducted with and people seeking out. It was a last minute interview that he had agreed to uh, to come on. We we did it live and people were saying, well, we need your notebook from it. And I said, I don't have a notebook. I said, he agreed to do it. And I scratched out a few questions on uh, the back of my rundown while I was in studio. And then I threw it away. And they were like, what do you mean you threw it away? You didn't know you would need it. And I was like, well, no, of course not. So I spent like, I spent like, multiple hours on the phone over over some of that stuff and i was really annoyed with mike that he didn't give me at least a heads up that that was coming uh you know <laughs> the next day but i but i got over it very fond of him and uh and really sorry about his passing sorry for his family and um yeah. and all of his friends and all the people that he's he's had tremendous tremendous impact on over the years we'll certainly miss him that that that's for sure I, I thought it was great. The Mississippi State people said, well, first of all, you know, he would be really upset if we didn't play in the bowl game, particularly since they're playing in a stadium uh, that has a pirate ship. You know? So I mean, I, I want to know who put the pirate flag up at Davis Wade Stadium. Did you it, see that? It, so wasn't that, that amazing? That wasn't amazing. That something? Yeah. yeah. Mike Leach had a love of the random, right? He just loved the yeah. random things. I wrote my column that he loved Whitey Bulger, the South Boston gangster. He, he would always engage me about that. I live in South Boston have for a long time. And uh, yes, but like just like the, the, those little things, they would delight Mike. He'd have that uh, chuckle that uh, yeah. you know. You know what? I didn't know that until I read your read your piece. I've talked to Mike about a number of things over the years, and that never came up because yeah. I too am am fascinated with with Whitey Bulger and have Are you bored, really? Huh. Yeah, have bored our friend that? Sean McDonough, who uh, whose father yeah. whose father knew him well. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, it's uh, I've bored Sean with questions about that for years and, and various things and heard some great stories. I, I I wish I had known that or I wish that had come up in some of yeah. those because I but um, anyway, the book that the Boston Globe reporters wrote, uh, Kevin Cullen and Shelley Murphy who covered him, you know, from mm-hmm. his early criminal days all the way through is, is really a remarkable book. 
Um, and I sent it to Mike. So that was one of the, once I, once, once he found I live in South Boston, he asked me all this question about Whitey. I read that book like a year later. It was so good. I, I just, I shipped it to him and he was appreciative of it. And uh, he had read other books. Like it wasn't like a passing thing. Like he had, like, yeah. he had like dove in, talked about coming up and everything like that. So yeah. Anyway, if you have your infinity and you got a few, a few long plane rides coming up here, like I do, uh, might not be a bad one to, uh, I think it's just called Whitey, but it's uh, yeah, Kevin Cullen and Shelley Murphy. So right. who knew people were getting like reading, you know, gangster reading tips on the pod? <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. Well, it's probably uh, probably some of that thing that that I'm interested in because one of my uh, my current the among TV shows that are on right now, um, I love the Blacklist. Uh, oh. James Spader as Raymond Reddington. I mean, Raymond Reddington is like an all time great gangster criminal uh you know complicated complicated figure um so i don't know maybe that maybe it explains some of it but yeah one of the great acting uh performances in television uh, i would have some criticisms of some of the plot lines and the right and the uh the storylines but the writing for spader as reddington means that i will watch it until they put the final episode on just to see um the random soliloquy, the one-liner, the whatever, you know, it's it's a spectacular, spectacular show. And it, I guess maybe sort of in the vein of, you know, not being able to be pinned down and captured, uh, sort of like sort of like Whitey was uh, back in the day. Yeah. I've not seen that show, nor have I heard of it actually. But we, really? we're not yeah. the, you and I are not you and I are not the best pop culture uh, references. I'm much worse than than most, to be to be uh, to be fully honest. So yeah. Um, yeah, it, uh, it is, you, you uh, should, you should check it out, but start from the okay. beginning, go back okay. and start from the beginning because how many the, seasons? Well, I think they're like on their 10th season now, oh, maybe wow. something like okay. that. Some, yeah. Something like that. It's coming See, that's out. It's coming like out. 10. feels like, feels like a homework assignment. You're like, Oh, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. um, have you, have you watched white Lotus Reese? I've not, no, I'm, okay. I'm familiar with it, but I haven't watched it. No. We just started it. So now that the season's over and I'm actually can like be present in my home. Um, yeah. White Lotus has started to, uh, we started, to, we started to sort of punch through that, uh, punch through that a little bit. It's, it's, it's entertaining. Yeah. I, I owe you guys, I owe you guys ribeyes, don't I? Or, or whoever won, who won? Well, Did you win I think, I think we, no, I no, Bill won. Bill, Bill won. won. So would, yeah. would it stun, would it stun you to know that, in, at this moment, and I'm I'm getting this out there before more bowl games are played, and and my record takes a dive. Would it stun you to know that against the spread in Capital One Bowl Mania, I'm eight and one. Wow. wow, seven and seven and two straight up in confidence picks with the only um, I don't remember which one. The confidence picks are just winners. I don't remember the second one I missed. I know the one I missed in against the spread. I because I definitely picked Oregon State to win the game, but I thought ah, a touchdown. They don't really score that much, and you know Gators will Gators might scrap around and and stick around and do that. That's the one game I've missed against the spread so far. I even I took North Carolina Central. I mean I'm on fire wow. right now and i and i was like where was this when there were actual real <laughs> stakes instead of me just looking at my phone to refresh my memory to see if i got it right or not you know yeah i usually enter a couple bull things i just plum forgot this year now bill and i did pick on the pod last week and i 
I don't know if uh, if if Taylor or Sarah actually like wrote those down. We we better round of drinks before our ribeye uh, on it, just to give it a little bit of juice. But I felt like I did buy. I did take the beavers. We had them for See? ten. Yeah. Yeah. See, I just want to. I just want to prove it in case people who are watching on on YouTube, right there. There you go. Eight. We were all due, Reese. We were all due for a good for a year. No kidding. Good (laughs) night. I mean, it was like feels like my four hundred one k. It's like one of these weeks. It's got to go up a little bit, right? (laughs) Oh man. So, Peter, I bring up the Capital One thing, not necessarily to to brag. Okay, maybe a little bit to show that I actually can occasionally pick games correctly, though rarely. You look at these next few days of bowl games, and, I mean, I don't know if there's anything that leaps off the page at you and says, boy, that's, you know, I'll watch them all, but I don't know if there's anything that you would uh, deem as can't miss. But you never know when you're going to get a Frank Gore Jr. performance. You know, which what? was which was an all timer. Um, did you see him for, stiff arm his aunt? I did. That was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what do you say, chill, auntie, or something like yeah, that? Chill, that auntie. Pretty, and then yeah, he, that was he, had, funny. he had to defend her on Twitter later. I love my aunt. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course he does. You know, he, of course he does. She she That's was excited about Thanksgiving at the Gores for a lot of years. Yeah, I know. <laughs> as well, you know, he he uh, as well. She should have been excited. That was a uh, virtuoso and brilliant. Uh, brilliant yeah. performance. Um, but you look at these, you never know when you're going to get one of those. Mm-hmm. Motivation is a big deal. It was, uh, oh, yeah. it was one of the reasons I really, you know, liked Louisville. I figured they were irritated with their former coach. Um, among these games coming up before we do our next podcast, basically running through Christmas Eve, what do, what do you see? What what team do you think might uh, be willing to make a statement, be really excited to be there, do do something, uh, do something impressive? Well, first of all, these are our people, Reese, right? Mm-hmm. Our people yeah. aren't the the Alabama, you know, they're not the they're not the the Georgia Ohio State show up for the big game. Our right. people, we are the roof claim people. We are the RNL carrier, New Orleans Bowl. <laughs> we are we are the Independence Bowl. We give us Shreveport. Shreveport two days before Christmas. That that's real college football fans. Uh, you know, right I there. don't know. I don't know what Radiance Technologies is or what they do. <laughs> I but think it probably I, blows up things in a country far away, and I don't want to know. <laughs> maybe. I mean, I don't know, but I mean, it's the Independence Bowl, which I mean, they used to be the Poland Weed Eater Bowl. You know, so I mean, yeah. Radius Technologies, <laughs> they have to evaluate their business model there and go, wait a minute, what can we do to separate ourselves from weed eaters? You know, I mean, <laughs> so, you know, it's, that would be the big question for me. I mean, yeah. Okay, everybody thinks of our bowl game as being the weed eater bowl. Uh, so what are we what are we going um, to do to prove that we are different from that? That's Louisiana, Houston, that um you know, Louisiana t- obviously took a bit of a step back. Houston had a weird season, played overtime every week, won won a couple of games in weird ways, lost a few in weird ways. That's uh that's an interesting game a couple of days before Christmas. It it is. And and I really think that a lot of times when you get to this set of bowl games, right? These the the sort of B tier pre-Christmas bowl games, again, which we love and we adore and we will watch every snap of is you have to really try to evaluate motivation. And that's a very hard thing to evaluate. Like, is Houston ticked off that they went seven and five 
and they just got absolutely curb stomped when SMU hung 77 on them? Or are they like annoyed that they have to show up, you know, in, uh, in, in Shreveport, Louisiana, two days before Christmas. And will they, you know, will, will they no show like they did when Kansas came and they played them at home that day? So there is, uh, there is, it's an, it's an interesting, it's an interesting matchup in that sense. Whereas Louisiana, uh, Mike Desimo comes in and all their good players go to the portal and he kind of rallies them to go six and six after a rough start. Are they going to go? You know, are they are they going to be swinging like this is their Super Bowl because they can take down a soon to be Big Twelve team? So there's always interesting there's always interesting dynamics in that. And uh, you know, Houston obviously lost to Tulsa its last game of the season. And the week before, they beat the brakes off East Carolina, forty two to three in Greenville, which is a hard place to go play and win. So uh, like it's that, that's a long way for me to say like I don't bet on games, but there there is zero chance I would wager because because. Houston's probably 14 points better than Louisiana. But if they lost by 14, I wouldn't be that surprised. Nor, nor would I. And, you know, I, Lou Holtz used to, uh, used to talk about this at well before the days of NIL, that picking bowl games was primarily determining just that, determining motivation and who really wanted to be there. I mean, there are, um, you know, there are any number of examples of teams uh, not showing up. And I, I want to kind of define what I think that is. That's not once you get on the field of play within the 60 minutes of the game. That's not failing to compete or not caring if you win or lose then. It's the buildup to it and the preparation where you're a little frustrated. Maybe you're looking around and uh, meaning many of the players or the coaches looking around for the next job. Uh, are you are you in trouble? Um, are they going to recruit over you? Are they going to fire you, move you to a different position? All of those types of things are that's what that's what leads it up leads up to giving the feeling that a team doesn't show up. It's not that they get there and go, I don't care if we win or not. It's not that. In Only in the rarest of instances would you have players doing that, I think. And that, that would be extraordinarily rare. But what wouldn't be rare is like, yeah, season's over. This game doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, let's go, let's go party. Let's sneak out after curfew. Let's, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's do this. Let's go have a few beers. We'll be fine. You know, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. And then you get there, you don't play your best. That That's what it is more than anything else, as opposed to the, the teams that show up that are, uh, have feel like they can still accomplish something. They feel like they have something tangible that they can, that they can, uh, lay claim to. Do you remember Miami in this Independence Bowl a couple of years ago against Louisiana Tech? Yeah, they put and a zero just got, up, didn't they? They just got, yeah, they just got blown off the field. <laughs> it yeah. was like an all-time, like, no-motivated bowl no-show. Yeah. Um, yeah, like a, like an all-timer, all-timer. So, um, I mean, you, you, may, you may see some of that. And, you know, I, I, referenced the, I referenced the Florida game earlier. And I'm not making excuses for them. Oregon State deserves all the credit in the world, but Florida, you know, bunch of guys in the portal had some trouble. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, had a quarterback that didn't hadn't played. You know, I mean, there are all kinds of things like that, and different different schools are going to run into that over the over the course of these next few days as well. 
So I think I think Louisiana Houston is uh, is an interesting one, and the the other one too is Liberty Toledo because Toledo finished after a little after a little hiccup late in the season, and you know and what ended up winning winning the MAC right breaking uh, breaking Ohio's heart yeah. again broke they Ohio's heart yeah. yet again, mm-hmm. and then and then Liberty. Speaking of cashing your chips in and saying, "Yeah, we're done here," uh, pretty pretty much after the Arkansas game, and and especially after the Hugh Freeze to Auburn stuff started up, I mean, they're they like, "Yeah, we're good. Uh, we've we've done what we've what we came to do." But now, will they will they step back up now that they you know they've hired a new coach and and all of that kind of distraction is gone? Will they step up and and play maybe uh, the way they were playing earlier in the season when they they blasted BYU earlier this year? Yes. Here when before but really before BYU had gotten totally uh, you know totally uh, beaten up and and battered. And they could have beaten Wake Forest. Uh, that that yep. came down to a failed two point conversion. Um, you know I would not trust Liberty right now. Just the way no. that they yep. played. You add in the chaos of a coaching change. Toledo, which had been an offensive-driven program for a number of years early on under Jason Cannell, has an elite defense now. Um, I think they held Ohio to seven in that MAC title game. It's 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 become a defense-led program. They've got a very good defensive line. So uh, Liberty's got sort of power five bodies at some different skill positions, and they've had quarterback issues, and they've they've run through a bunch of them this year. If you are going to wager on that game, I would certainly try to take a peek at who's going to play quarterback for them. I know Charlie Brewers had the hand injury. Tennessee transfer played that game against Wake Forest, who was pretty good. He'd been hurt. They'd run a majority of their snaps, Frieza told me at one point this year, with a four, guy who entered Tampa as a fourth stringer. So, um, yeah, but that is uh, the, the Boca Raton Bowl, one of my favorites. I've been in attendance of multiple Boca Raton Bowls, Reese, uh, is, uh, is, is, is I think going to be an interesting game. But if Toledo blew Liberty right off the field, like New Mexico State did, I wouldn't be surprised because Toledo is a class above New Mexico State and a couple of those other teams that Liberty, you know, really stumbled down the down the stretch against. You you want to hear uh, you want to hear a recognition story? You know, my my family trip uh, every year. We go to Disney every year. That's our that's our thing. So oh, cool. yeah, so we did that. We've done it for really basically my kids' whole lives. And I was sharing uh, with Sarah while you were having internet problems earlier that. Uh, that my daughter is an absolute Disney warrior. She loves all things Disney and she, and she rides like, like you can't believe in this and this coming from, she's a thrill seeker on rides, but she's, she's very conservative, very, uh, you know, very straight laced, uh, you know, teetotal whole thing, but man, oh man, you put her on a roller coaster and she's in. Right. So we, um, you know, my, my, my wife and son had retired to quarters one night and we were, we were closing down Epcot. And uh, so we're walking back to the room and it's kind of chilly and, and I have my, have my hood up, not, you know, I'm always happy enough. Obviously it's nice if people recognize you and say nice things, not as nice if they recognize you and say mean things, but you know, so I'm walking out and, and I have the hood up and this guy recognizes me and he says, he, he says, holy bleep. And, you know, and which my daughter found amusing because she also is, is not one this way, but she found that amusing anyway. 
And so then he recognized me. He goes, I'm so sorry. Did you have your hood up so people wouldn't recognize you? I said, no, I had it up because I was cold. And so then he calls his mom over and she referred uh, to meeting me with the same explanation. And so did the father. But I tell this story, not only for this, they were extraordinarily nice, huge Gator fans or whatever. Nice. But I tell this story for this reason. You'll appreciate this part. So I'm sitting there and we take a couple pictures and we're exchanging pleasantries, talking about the Gators because who were about to play the next day. And finally, the dad looks at me and he goes, and he was serious. And I love this. He goes, do you feel uncomfortable not being in your suit and tie? <laughs> I said, you know, as a matter of fact, just a little bit. So <laughs> that's that, that is great. That that, that might have that might have made was completely unintentional. No, no, no. He was yeah. That was the thing. I you know somebody busting my chops. You know Billis busting my chops. You know you making fun of my pocket squares. But all of that is all good fun, and, and I get a chuckle out of that. He was like serious. He was he was not making fun, which was which was great. Which I I took uh, I took great uh, great pleasure in him doing that. Got a good chuckle out of that. So extraordinarily that is, uh, nice people. But that was that's going to go down as a, as an all timer right there. Um, that 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 is very uh, that is very funny. I I I picture like a like a sort of mocking gif of you on the Peloton. Sweating through a three-piece suit. <laughs> yeah, looking, looking like, like that. Wiping is, your forehead with your tie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that. Uh, sort of like that. Uh, I'm not going to give them. I don't think they're sponsors. So I'm not saying which brand, but the insurance company that has the guy that wrecks everything and he's always in a coat and tie. That that would be me. Like yeah. totally, yeah. Uh, totally yeah. messed up, but dressed up the whole time. Yeah, dressed for it, no matter what. So very anyway. Uh, could very you uh, last thing about Disney? My yeah. daughter, my daughter loves Tower of Terror. She loves all of the fast crazy wild rides sure so the debate started afterwards she said that she could ride tower of terror continuously all all up and down dropping none of the you know pre-show stuff not getting off and off and back on like the ride for an hour consecutively easily could you mm. do that what do you no. think what do you I, think I like what would your over under be yeah yeah i could I, I could probably do it a handful of times but at a certain point your body's equilibrium has to get thrown off. I would, yeah. I would, I would think like the, the, the drop is a nice crescendo to the buildup. I just think like the consecutive drops, I, I'm not, I'm not built for it. I, I, I'm a big fan of that ride that Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger spins the best ride in the park. And in case you're wondering, I am a galactic hero maxing out the score yet again. But uh, at any rate, <laughs> uh, the thrill ride tower of terror is my favorite. Um, the the other ones I I do I ride everything, but she can like get on off on on, on just do it over and over. I I can't. I I mean it it messes yeah. it messes yeah, with me after a while. Yeah, yeah, I know it a little bit. I'm also 57, which is uh you know that that changes things a little bit too. So anyway, <laughs> does it? So let's make some we'll make some picks later on. Uh, yeah about this talk yeah, a little bit. I think bit we're about... gonna spare people this uh this swath of picks. I think that's probably best for everyone because yeah, I think well, our motivation conversation would show we're really just guessing. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like if no, you, no doubt if you no gotta doubt. dig in on Middle Tennessee and San Diego State. Um, <laughs> yeah. These are great balls to get away from your family to watch. That is what I will say. Like <laughs> see I don't condone that. You should embrace being around your family right then. Well, Teddy will be in bed by eight o'clock uh we hope on Christmas Eve. So. Well, there, there you go. So I used to, I used to like it when, when they had the, is 
the bowl from Hawaii is not on Christmas Eve. It used to be. No, no, it is it still. That's yeah. great. It is still. It is, still. Yeah. is that the Hawaii? Yeah, yeah it is. Middle, t- middle Tennessee, San Diego State. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's at the little stadium because uh, the, the big stadium in Hawaii is right. not fixed yet. Yeah, the TC Ching Athletics Complex, which sounds like where Hawaii's soccer team would play, you know, <laughs> um, Utah State on a Thursday or something, a Thursday at 3.30. So. Middle Tennessee, San Diego State to uh, as you – await the arrival of Santa Claus that night. So we'll make some picks yeah. for the for the college football playoff games. Also, when we get in next week, I'm going to dive into maybe the most surprising thing to me, although it was initially and now not at all, that Bryce Young and Will mm-hmm. Anderson are going to play for Alabama against Kansas State, which I, I don't know if Alabama is capable of playing to its potential, but if they are, Kansas State better watch out because that indicates to me that something I didn't really expect that they are invested in and finishing there. So we'll talk about that next week. Also make picks, Georgia, Ohio state, Michigan, TCU, and the NFL bound Max Duggan. Now, after making that announcement, after he, to use his words, finishes some business and we have finished our business here. Pete, great to be back with you. Great job uh, while I was off. And I'm glad that while I was off, you were able to get a word in edgewise. Yeah, no, very, uh, very good. Everybody look forward to the large slate of weekday afternoon bowl games. The degenerate run we got going here is pretty, pretty lovely. So uh, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go log off and get ready for UConn Marshall. No, sounds like a plan. Most wonderful time of the year. Uh, for Amen. Pete Thamel and our entire crew, thanks for listening to the College Game Day podcast. We'll be back with you next week and really pick up the tempo as we get closer and closer to the playoffs.